Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. And Gibby, the Frangie Show starts now on Tintin XL 92.5 FM. Welcome into the Frangie Show on this Wednesday edition of the program. That means it's a Kitchen and Flooring Design Center Wednesday, and it also means we are at Island Wing. Bartram Park. Hayes Carlin is here. I'm Lauren Brooks. Andrew Gibson has the week off. So Dylan Denmark is hanging out back at 10 XL headquarters. And Frank Frangie has the rest of the week off. He is up in the Big Apple ahead of the Jaguars taking on the Jets. Hayes Carlin, have you ordered us coconut shrimp yet? I have not, okay. but they will be uh, coming. We have a hard commitment, <laughs> but we do not have a letter of intent yet. But we are, we are working to achieve that. But uh, before we get rolling, yes. I've got a new show for you. Okay. This is so your show. You're gonna <laughs> love this show. It's a TV it's called, show. Yes, it's All a right. TV show. You're gonna. If you don't have Hulu, you're gonna have to get Hulu. I don't have Hulu, okay. but, but I can find it. someone's login. Okay. So it's called Welcome to Wrexham. Have you heard about I've it? I've heard of okay. it. I have not heard about it. It's phenomenal. Okay. I watched the first four episodes last night. Okay. It is incredible. It's about Ryan Reynolds, uh, the actor. Yep. And, Shockingly, uh, I know who that is. Yeah, and Rob, uh, McK- McK- I can't even. It's say okay, I won't name, know who that is. But he's from it, the show. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Okay, I didn't watch uh, that. So they got together to purchase this soccer team that's got all this tradition in Wales, oh. but it's fallen from like the champions level, like a hundred years ago, okay. to like the fifth division down. Scott Deep from Strings told me I had to have I would have to watch this show. It is okay. awesome. I dismissed it because I don't have Hulu. It, it's somewhat like Ted Lasso. Okay. Except it's really happening. It's a it's a documentary basically about them it's a real purchasing thing. the team and then getting into it and the challenges of it. Okay. It's awesome. Are is this season one? How far along are we? I I've only watched four, the first four episodes of season one. Okay. I didn't look to see how, how many, many there are. are. I, okay. I, can, I have to imagine this is the only season. That would be good for me. the current events that they're showing are from September of 21. Okay. So it's not like this goes back, you know, many years. So Yep, it's in the first season. So that's um, good news. Yeah. I haven't missed that much. You and Brian will okay. love it. I'm excited. It. Thank you. So, yeah, there you go. All right. That is good news for me and for really all other soccer fans who are coming off of, I think, an extreme high when it comes to the World Cup and especially the way the the final ended between Messi and Mbappe and all the fun stuff. And so that's good that we can infuse some more soccer into our lives. I will tell you one thing that has been, I think, extraordinarily confusing about today, the early National Signing Day. We talked all about NIL this week. Now there's NLI. You mentioned letter of intent. I think people are getting super confused when they see right. NIL and NLI. Well, for the purposes of this show, <laughs> we're going to say signed his letter. <laughs> right. That's we're not going to say NLI. We're not going to do initial. When we talk about NIL, then that'll be NIL. But when we talk about it, if they sent in their letter right. of intent. And there's that's not we'll supposed be to be any name, image, and likeness mixed into the letter of intent. Right. That, is, that is supposed to be far, far apart. 
do you actually believe that those are far, far apart? It's not, unfortunately. And I mean, I say unfortunately. I mean, it's, it, it's not, uh, again, I, I don't have a problem with the kids doing it. I just think it, it does create, because of what you can get away with in varying states, it's, you know, it, it's very muddled in terms of what schools can do and what schools can't. But, um, but yeah, obviously it's a factor. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been interesting to see the counterpunch today um, by Alabama. Last year, Texas A&M brought mm-hmm. in what was hailed as perhaps the greatest signing class ever assembled. And a lot of people believe that that was because they did promise NIL money for signatures. And, you know, in year one at least, it didn't work. Well, Alabama And Nick Saban obviously accused Jimbo Fisher of doing that, and and that caused that tete-a-tete. Yep, and lobbied to his boosters about, hey, we've got to get in the game on this. It was almost like, I'm going to criticize this guy, (laughs) but we need to do exactly (laughs) what this guy just did. I'm really going to use this whole back and forth and this quote-unquote fight, this disagreement, as, yeah, as a reason and an excuse to tell my boosters, you need to pony up. Right, exactly. And so now looking at the the updated 24-7 team rankings, Mm -hmm. the uh, composite rankings, and again, this is just one service, but uh, Alabama is one by a wide margin. 27, uh, I'm assuming these are all signees now, Uh, six five stars, 24 stars, just an unbelievable haul for for Nick Saban in the tide. I mean, Georgia has an outstanding class, their second. Alabama's class just absolutely buries them. I mean, just to give you an example, They do a point system, Mm -hmm. which I can't figure out. But Alabama has 326 points. Georgia has 304. So that's a 22-point difference. Uh, I mean, just to give you an idea, the difference between Georgia at 2 and Miami at 3 is about 11 points. The difference between Miami at 3 and Texas at 4 is literally .3 points. It's very close. Uh, So all these teams are kind of jumbled up together. Uh, and then you've got Alabama that's just way off in the distance. So, again, I uh, wouldn't count on Nick Saban being done anytime soon. <laughs> uh, bringing in a class like this, I have to think that Nick Saban is locked in. Not that there was probably any doubt, but certainly for the next few years is the Crimson Tide just you know continue their dynasty. As far as teams that are doing well that are unexpectedly doing well, we talked a little bit about Miami with because of the NIL money. Miami, I think Texas and Oregon are schools that you wouldn't necessarily expect based off of their recent track records and history, program records, all that stuff, to be as high as they are. I, yeah, I think those are all three surprises. But they in have money. Terms of, yeah. At least Texas and Oregon have money. We, Correct. We've and come to find out Miami has some money. Miami has money, sure. And, uh, you know, and, and again, I, I think that it, it may not be as spread out, but I think they have access to one person mm-hmm. that is willing to do whatever it takes. And so... Uh, in Miami's case, obviously, that's that's all they need. And not to say I'm sure they have others, but Miami's effort seems to be directed more by John Ruiz than anybody else. Uh, just like Oregon's, you would think, is Phil Knight, you know, with the Nike money. Texas is, I mean, that could be a thousand different, you know, millionaires, I mean, and billionaires. I mean, but uh, that's Matthew so McConaughey out. being one of them. That's right. So, Anytime uh, I get a chance to mention yeah. him, I do. Um, I tell you one that surprises yeah. me a little bit is Oklahoma. Oklahoma's at eight. Uh, Brent Venables has done a very nice job. They didn't have great success on the field, and they're playing FSU in a bowl game that I think FSU is going to convincingly beat them mm-hmm. in. Um, 
but uh, but they've they've done well. They're eighth. Uh, Notre Dame is ninth. Marcus Freeman really had that class in the top three for a lot of this signing period, and they've kind of sputtered back a little bit, but still a very good class. They have 21 uh, four stars, uh, no five stars, so kind of similar to the Gators in that re- regard, uh, no five stars, but a lot of fours. Uh, so Notre Dame is nine. So a little bit of a surprise maybe that they have fallen a little bit back because they, you know, they closed well. They had a nice season and Obviously, they'll be here in Jacksonville against South Carolina. One team that, again, a surprise, but the opposite way. Michigan was in the college football playoff last season, is in it this season, and they're all the way down at 20th, no five stars, seven four stars, and 15 uh, three stars. Shouldn't Michigan be at least in the top 10 with the way that they've, Harbaugh's had that team playing? You would think, and again, that's a, that's a university with great Tons of money. alumni. Yeah, very access to... A whole lot of resources. So, yeah, I would say that Michigan being down there with back-to-back great years is a surprise. And, again, it just it does make me wonder if this is a head coach that knows he's going to be in the NFL next year. Or at least the recruits, the potential recruits, are reading the headlines that Harbaugh is flirting with the NFL or at least thinking about the NFL. And, and that's what I wondered, too, because otherwise you would think Michigan would be right there with Ohio State and Ohio State, I'm looking at the on three, which uses, I think, a multiple of those sites to uh, form their composites. And Ohio State is fourth on this one. And so, yeah, I would think Michigan would be much closer to Ohio State than at 20th. Okay, so which class would you rather have, Hayes? Georgia has zero five stars. They're in second place. Zero five stars, 21 four stars and four three-stars. And then Miami has three five-stars, 12 four-stars, and nine three-stars. Would you rather have the three five-stars, or would you rather have that plethora of four-stars? You'd probably rather have the bulk uh, okay. than the, than the th- three versus. I, I've got on 24-7, Georgia has one five-star. Um, okay. Let me pull it up. It's uh, A.J. Harris, the corner out of Alabama. They have as the 32nd best player in the country. Um, but, uh, but to your point, yeah, I, I think – I think you always want bulk. And so if, if it's, you know, in Miami's case, uh, again, on the 24-7, it's Georgia has 21 blue chips, Miami has 16. The class with the 21 is probably going to do better than the class with the 16, even if the first three and the 16 are higher. And it's what's just, the difference between a four-star and a five-star really when it comes to how they're going to play in college? Yeah, well, when it comes down to individual rankings, it's it's – a complete crapshoot. I mean, there is so many examples of five-star players that have not worked out. I mean, look at JT Daniels, who's now transferring to Rice, who was billed as this can't-miss kid. Uh, Fourth school, <clears throat> if you're keeping track. Yeah, so when you're talking about, like, individual prospects, the rankings are, are I mean, they're, it's a probability that the, the, pro, the player will be good, but it's not a certainty, but whole classes – there's more right. of a certainty there because you're not going to have – the percentages say you're not going to have 21 kids that don't work out. Uh, and so if you've got 21 blue chips like Georgia versus 16 in Miami, you've got way more slack to work with. Uh, and so, therefore, you're probably going to get more out of that class. Um, we'll see. I mean, again, they both have outstanding classes. So it's – I mean, you'd love to have either one. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think you normally would rather have the – the bulk over uh, the the higher end. Yes, and I that part makes sense to me. I do I do want like on on three, 
AJ Harris is a four star, not a five star. Okay. So obviously there's slight differences. So I think overall, I think your answer as far as what you'd rather, which class you'd rather have is, is absolutely correct. Because if you're a four star, you may be a five star some places. If you're a five star, you may be a four star other places. The majority of those guys, though, on your team is, is what's going to get you into that blue chip ratio, which is what we talk about year in and year out. By the way, I had a, a listener tweet me that Welcome to Rexham is on FX as well. So that oh, is okay, good news go. for the for the cable, the old school cable people like me. All right, when we come back, Florida may have a new quarterback, and I have a feeling when Hayes Carline is not too happy about it. We will talk about that and a whole lot more. You are listening to The Frangie Show live from Island Wing Company in Bartram Park on 1010X on 92.5 FM. It's a kitchen and flooring design center Wednesday on The Frangie Show. Make your home dreams come true with the kitchen and flooring design center. Always a Kitchen and Flooring Design Center Wednesday here on the Frangie Show. Frank Frangie up in the Big Apple, New York City, ahead of the Jaguars taking on the Jets tomorrow night on Thursday Night Football. We are live here at Island Wings in Bartram Park, Dillon, Denmark, making it all happen for us back at 10 XL headquarters. Hayes Carline is here. I'm Lauren Brooks. All right, Hayes, the news came out last night. G. Allen Taylor, who covers the Gators, tweeted out that Graham Mertz is likely headed to the University of Florida as far as a transfer portal quarterback. This season at Wisconsin, he had 2,136 yards, 19 touchdowns, and 10 picks. I think Gator Nation is incredibly disappointed. How do you feel? I think it's incredibly disappointing as well. I mean, you know, I, again, we'll have to see who actually ends up in the portal. Right. But there was speculation that obviously there was going to be some really big fish. Uh, Sam Hartman, Cam Rising, Michael Pratt that might be moving. Devin Leary was definitely in the portal. Yeah, I would have taken Leary in a heartbeat. A heartbeat over Graham Mertz. Uh, and I don't know whether Florida just didn't have an interest. Didn't doesn't seem like they did. Uh, and I don't know. Maybe they were worried about the shoulder. I I don't know. But I, Devin Leary is a really good collegiate player. Uh, I think that's a great addition for Kentucky. About the only positive thing I can say for Graham Mertz is. Uh, he's battle-tested. I mean, he's, he's coming into the SEC from the best conference to prepare you for that in the Big Ten. He's gone into uh, on the road to play Ohio State, to play Michigan State. Obviously, he's been playing Iowa every year, who has a great defense. He's played Penn State. He's played Notre Dame. He's played Michigan twice. Has a, has a win at Michigan in 2020. So your first game next year is at Utah. So Graham, if Graham Mertz is your starter, well, he'll, he, that won't bother him. So that's, that's a positive is of the experience and the experience in playing in an a excellent league. But he's not any good. I mean, <laughs> unless Wisconsin just was running some putrid system. And, and I'm, look, I'm not 100% sure Florida isn't as well. Um, but – it's hard to get excited about a quarterback that's completing less than 60% of his passes in his career, uh, 38 touchdowns to 26 interceptions. I mean, you mentioned his numbers from this past season. It might have been his worst year. Uh, he doesn't give you anything as a rusher. Uh, he's minus 21 rushing for his career. Now, obviously, that's because of the sacks. But uh, he does have eight touchdowns on the ground. So maybe when he gets close, he's comfortable you know, running it in. But... Yeah, I, I, I think it's underwhelming. Now, if, you know, Grayson McCall ends up really being the only quarterback in the portal of, of consequence, if Rising Hartman 
Pratt, if they stay or they go to the NFL, then maybe you look at it and say, well, look, it, it was kind of slim pickings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but if we are two weeks away from there being three or four elite portal quarterbacks, oh, I think this is incredibly disappointing. What, what's your room next year? Graham Mertz, Jack Miller, and Jaden Rashada? You hope? If he signs? <laughs> you hope? I mean. I think that's I, that to me might be the key. Assuming Jaden Rashada signs, he's your freshman quarterback. Or maybe you have Graham Mertz in early on because, like you said, you start with a very big game at Utah. And then once you think Rashada's comfortable, you you put him in. Or you see, you know, how does Graham Mertz do and things like that. But it, the one thing I, I will say that I like in defense of Graham Mertz, he stayed at his school for four years, and they have a new coach. Luke Fickle now obviously will be the Wisconsin coach. So this isn't a kid that was jumping from team to team, not getting his way, not getting to start, and not getting playing time. He put in the work, he put in the effort, and he realized, you know, I don't want to spend the next year, my, my final year of eligibility, at Wisconsin. I'd like to go to a program that hopefully can win more than Wisconsin's been winning. That's the one, like I said, one thing I have in defense of him. But I really, I, I've never been wowed by him by watching Wisconsin football. They run the football. That's what Wisconsin does. Exactly. And, and the numbers still aren't really there. So, you know, I, I think it's, uh, I, I, I mean, again, to me, this is the decision. This is the decision that is going to, I think, in large part, make or break Billy Napier at Florida. It's, you're going, he's going to get a complete pass for this year. Complete pass. But you get this into year two. This past Not, year. Yes, got it went it. six and seven. I, I don't think, I mean, people are disappointed. But I think people understand that he needed, he was going to need a year to get his feet under him and get the roster better. And now I think you look at what, again, the schedule is incredibly difficult. Instead of hosting Utah, you go to U- Utah in the opener, and I think you drop A&M, who they beat anyway. You pick up Arkansas, but you've got trips to LSU. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a difficult schedule. You're, obviously, they'll host Tennessee and, and Florida State. They do have a couple easier games than early. normal. Yeah. yeah, like you said, early with McNeese State and Charlotte. Right. If Billy Napier's team can't beat those teams. Well, yeah, then, I mean, <laughs> all then, hope is lost. For yeah, the then part. all hope but is lost. The only positive thing that I can tell you when it comes to Jaden Rashada, who has not signed yet, is five days ago, four days ago, he retweeted Trayon Webb, who is definitely committed to the University of Florida uh, and will be on Hacker After Dark tonight, and he retweeted him. It gets greater later 100. I don't know what that means, but I know that he's definitely signed with Florida and Jaden Rashada did retweet him. That's the only thing that I can tell you that's happening on Jaden Rashada's Twitter if we're trying to find any clues. Yeah, and again, he's uh, he's in California, so uh, they're a few hours back of us. So <laughs> Does I, he realize the panic that he's putting yeah. Gator Nation under? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, – it's, and again, you, you see these – you know, NIL just changes everything. You just don't know – What's going to happen in the in the eleventh hour on these decisions? I don't think he'll go to USC because they were able to get the number one quarterback yeah, that overall. Make sense. Oregon was the school that that you heard a little bit about, and and again, I think that gets you a little nervous because that does get you nervous. Oregon has been sizzling. Yes. Today they've made a massive leap forward. Uh, they're seventh right now on the twenty four seven sports composite with three five stars, fifteen four stars. Uh, 27 total uh, right now for Oregon. So, uh, yeah, I mean, until until they have it, until you see the Florida staff tweeting about it, 
I think you have to worry. There's another player that Florida's waiting on, too, uh, uh, that's a very good player. Um, Deshaun Johnson, a safety out of Tampa, uh, 98th uh, overall in the country, again, according to this site. Uh, 98th overall in the country, if, if everybody signed, would put Johnson as the fifth uh, most valuable prospect in this class. So uh, I, I'm not sure maybe, you know, there are, there are kids that are signing even tomorrow. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't, you don't again, you don't have to sign today, just the first opportunity to sign. But there are some, some uh, kids that have elected uh, to sign tomorrow. And so this is ongoing. But certainly and if you're a Florida fan, you'd like to get the, the kids that were committed uh, signed and, and official. And Dijon Johnson, the one you just mentioned, what I saw was he was supposed to sign at 7.30 this morning. So I'm not sure what exactly changed on that. Going back to Jaden Rashada, Oregon's quarterback, Bo Nix, who everyone remembers being a failure at Auburn, but pretty good at Oregon. He announced the other day that he is definitely returning for the 2023 season. So if Rashada goes to Oregon, I would think, um, you know, barring injury, he is going to have to wait a year before he gets any playing time. I think that's the selling point if you're Billy Napier. I, not that you would really say this, but, hey, Graham Mertz is just our backup. Did you see Jack Miller in the bowl game? Right. Uh, you're our starter. Again, that's not how a coach would necessarily present that. You're not going to talk badly about or poorly about a guy that you have committed. But I would think that this big selling point at Florida right now is you're going to walk in and have a chance to compete for the starting position. Florida State, you can't say that right now. Georgia, you are on a long waiting list, certainly. Miami, I think they expect uh, that they already have their starting quarterback on the roster. So certainly that's a selling point for Billy Napier. Yeah, I think so, because as you look at it, it's hard to believe Graham Mertz would go the distance. I mean, it just is. And, you know, again, it's 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 a really surprising addition, I think, uh, for the Gators. Um, You know, because like I said, he doesn't give you a running element and he's been inaccurate. Now, again, Billy Napier will eventually have to defend this and talk about it. And, you know, maybe he will, as gently as he can, relay that, look, the kid didn't have any weapons, didn't have any help. You know, uh, he's not going to say the the system was bad, but maybe we'll say that things that we like to do will highlight his Mm skill set better. But, yeah, I mean, it's – you got to throw it around. I mean, you just can't rely on Montrell Johnson and Trevor Etienne to each run for 900 yards next year. Not in this league. You can't win like that. You gotta, you gotta throw it around. And uh, if if Graham Mertz is who you're relying on, I think you have deep concerns. I, I would be surprised if Graham Mertz is the starter when we go to SEC Media Days. When everybody goes, uh, I mean, I, I have to think Graham Mertz would be somewhere ninth or tenth ranked in the SEC. Well. I mean, how do, you, I would think so. how do you expect to do any better than you did this year if, if that's what you have? I mean, I just – I could be wrong. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. No, it doesn't to me either. But, again, like you said, we don't have all the information right now to be able to analyze whether or not this was the best of the transfer portal quarterbacks after Devin Leary committed. I think I could have gotten more excited about Grayson McCall because of the numbers. And I have not watched Grayson McCall play football other than some highlights. So it's not like, oh, yeah, Grayson Mahal can do things that Graham Mertz can't. It's not – I haven't evaluated that closely. But it does feel like statistically he's a guy that could have come in and, and maybe lit it up in the SEC next season. All right, when we come back, we will get it to Jaguars football. The Jaguars take on the Jets tomorrow night. 
Kicking off at 8.20, we will have all the coverage for you starting tomorrow at 3 p.m. with the kickoff show presented by Wingstop with Hayes Carlin and Hacker. So keep it right here on Tinson XL 92.5 FM. It's a Kitchen and Flooring Design Center Wednesday on The Frangie Show. Make your home dreams come true with the Kitchen and Flooring Design Center. Welcome back to the Frangie Show live here at Island Wings at Bartram Park. Thought, Just a lovely day outside. Yeah, <laughs> I thought this was High Plains Drifter by the Beastie Boys for a second. They, they must have sampled this. Oh, okay, yeah. They must have. This is the Eagles. I forget which song this is, but I think I've seen this one in concert. Those shoes. Uh, that's right. Yep, I have seen this one in concert. Uh, this, I think the, I've seen them twice. I think the second time I got to see them. So Dylan is playing the Eagles because... And by the way, Philly's Finest, the restaurant we're about to talk about, is I could walk there from my house. Uh, oh, that's cool. It's Yeah, it's super close. It's uh, right on 3rd Street. But so I saw this story from John Shipley yesterday that uh, obviously Philly's Finest is a local Philadelphia cheesesteak shop. They got the call from Eagles fans because the Jaguars beat the Cowboys for Doug Peterson and his staff to receive 35 cheesesteak subs. And they are fantastic cheesesteaks. If you like cheesesteaks, Philly's Finest are delicious. So thank you to those Eagles fans. They're wonderful people, That's aren't very they? very nice. Absolutely. We're, we're always happy to beat the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> for you. <laughs> you got that right. Now, that was just the second time the Cowboys have ever been to Jacksonville. Yeah, it's hard to believe. But they obviously it was the London game in 2013 or 14. So, uh, yeah, and we won't have Dallas back here now until 2030. So it'll be a while. It certainly Unless will. they change the rotation of the scheduling, which it doesn't seem like the league is overly inclined to do. So I bet even in 2030, Hayes, obviously a lot of things will happen between now and then, but I bet we're still talking about that game on Sunday, the Jaguars beating the Cowboys. It, it could be. I mean, that, that could really be a game that we reference many times uh, moving forward. And, yeah, it does make you wonder, like, what will this organization look like when the Cowboys come back to Jacksonville in eight years, because in that point, hopefully same coach, same quarterback. Yeah. I mean, you, it, that, that wouldn't, I mean, that'd be phenomenal, but it's certainly, that's the path that it looks like it's heading towards. I mean, you'd have Trevor Lawrence. that would be 31 right in the prime mm-hmm. of his career. And hopefully already with a couple cer- rings. Yeah. And certainly Doug Peterson would be, uh, you know, still very much active and, and coaching God willing. So, Really could be uh, could be magnificent. A new stadium, perhaps in eight years. That's probably right For around sure. the window of when that could be, uh, you know, up and running. So a renovated stadium. So uh, yeah, it's it's going to be wild to see what happens between now and the next time that the the Cowboys come back. If the Jaguars make the playoffs, do you think that the conversation at all could change from renovated stadium to new stadium because all of a sudden now the taxpayers are more excited than they've been in a long time? I, I think it's this is complete novice uh, opinion on this kind of thing because it's local city government. But right. I would think that the price tag to renovate is going to be so gargantuan to begin with that that's going to be what they're going to do. I okay. Mean, I, again, I, I just – look, we, I, if they want to build a new stadium, that's fantastic. But we know how the NFL ownership versus local government cooperation works. No NFL owner is going to pay the whole thing. Uh, you're, you're doing well if they'll pay, pay about 40% of it. So I, I would imagine that 
it's going to be a renovation because it pretty much doubles the price if you want to you know build from scratch so i would think it's going to be renovated but to your point your larger point i I do think that the team doing well if they make the playoffs and you know we have that week and and really this month of them getting in and with the team so young and trevor so young and the the excitement that will exist in the offseason yeah i mean i think that absolutely is a huge boost for the franchise in terms of convincing people that look this is something we need to do we don't want to we need to invest in we're getting ready to have you know 10 15 years of good times right we want that to be here in jacksonville not in some other destination where we have to watch you know the jaguars in another city you know that would be accomplishing all these great things with beyond devastating right absolutely beyond devastating And, and hopefully that is not even part of the conversation i wonder about a new stadium just because we like we talked about the Titan Stadium is you were just there. It's fine, right? It's not completely outdated yeah, I like ours is. I don't like it. Okay. But and that's not a Titans thing. I've just sure. always been not impressed okay. with Nissan Stadium. But um but it certainly does it's not falling down. I mean it it doesn't look dilapidated or anything like the uh char- the old San Diego Chargers Stadium and the old Raiders Stadium. Like going to those sites, it was <laughs> like my god. They actually host NFL teams here. Like Okay, you, so TIA Bank certainly doesn't feel like that. No. But no. you would say the Titans is on par with TIA Bank? I like TIA Bank better than okay. the Titans Stadium. Okay, but obviously but Tennessee's I, getting I, a new and and I think stadium. a lot of that is Nashville just has so much momentum in the last I mean, I never As a heard city. when I was a kid and you're in your your twenties. Now granted that's over <laughs> twenty years ago. But I, we never would uh, no you didn't go to Nashville. That wasn't a thing. Nashville was like country music, and, and, and obviously that's still a big part of sure. it. But Nas- you don't have to love country music to go and have a great time in Nashville. Like, I, I think even on my time on the Jaguar beat since 2013, it has really grown and, and become a destination city of, you know, hey, let's go, let's go have a great time in Nashville. So they've just got so much more momentum than, than our city has from that standpoint. You know, I mean – you know, we, we, we attract a, a certain demographic if you want to go play golf, if you want to enjoy the beach, if, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, we, you know, Jacksonville is, is a great destination. But we don't have near the entertainment infrastructure right. that Nashville has. I mean, it's not even remotely close. Right. So, if you want to walk to multiple different live music spots. Right. That, that, I mean, there are, I guess in Jack's Beach, there are a couple different places that you could walk to. I'm trying to think. Yeah, there are a couple different ones you could walk to with live music, but not like where they're right next to each other. That yeah. part does not exist at all. And I, I don't think we have that really anywhere, even if you go to the other you know, little towns that we have inside of Jacksonville. And, and I would think that how they're going to pay for this new stadium in Tennessee, a large part of it, once they get beyond the ownership component, is they're going to tack on taxes to hotels and, you know, sure. things like the, that. All the visitors. To kind of push the cost off as much as they can on tourism. And we're not going to be able to do that here. So, you know, I, I would think it's going to be more renovation and, and you know, that. And, and then we'll see. I mean, we'll see 20 years beyond that. You know, maybe Jacksonville's in a totally different light. It might be. I mean, Jacksonville in 25 years might be – how Nashville kind of is now, and a different identity, a different essence. Sure, like how Charlotte but, is. But that kind of, wow, Jackson was a place that 
you absolutely have to go to if you've never been because they have all this amazing stuff to do right there in downtown. Absolutely. And I, by the way, also went to Nashville for the first time 10 years ago when one of my girlfriends turned 30. And it wasn't near, like you said, it wasn't near what it is today. Yes, they had bars and stuff, but it was not the type of destination city. Nashville has done a great job of marketing itself as the bachelor or bachelorette kind of like capital of the United States. And yes, there are other places that people will go, but I think for the most part, it is going to be on the top three of most people's bachelor or bachelorette parties. By the way, we do have a registration box here, Hayes, for people to enter to win VIP tickets to Welcome to Rockville. So if you are in the Bartram Park area or if you really want to go to Welcome to Rockville and get VIP tickets, swing on by here, put your name in the registration box, and uh, you could win VIP tickets. All right, let's get it to from the conversation just about city to city and, and stadium to stadium to the actual on-field game. I am getting really nervous about this weather. I told myself, Trevor's come a long way since that Eagles game. Don't worry about it. And Travis Etienne is, is going to focus more on ball security. We shouldn't have to worry. But the closer it gets, the more nervous I'm getting. And, and oh, by the way, I went back. I don't know if you've gotten a chance to watch it yet. Have you seen the 15-minute sounds of the game that the Jaguars? I haven't watched it yet. Okay, it so awesome? it is awesome. I highly recommend watching it. Uh, and Frank, of course, tweeted about it last night because it's so great. And... I highly recommend walking, watching it for everybody. But there is a point in the game, and, and you may have noticed this live, it, Zay Jones on the long touchdown, the 59-yarder. So he makes the double move, ball gets thrown to him, and he's getting close to the end zone. He goes with both arms around the football into the end zone. Maybe Zay Jones needs to teach the class about ball security to Trevor Lawrence and to Travis Etienne. Both arms on the ball, boys. That's how it has to be done. Yeah, that's great. That's uh, that's a great lesson for the other guys on the team and a savvy move there by Zay Jones. And, boy, I, I had not peaked at the weather <laughs> until you just said this. It is – I mean, this is just nasty. It's gross. So it only goes until 3 o'clock tomorrow on my phone, and, and I've got Newark pulled up. I yep. mean, I know the game's in East Rutherford, so it's not ex- – but you got to think – It's close enough. you got to think it's probably close enough. 70% chance of rain at 2 and 3 o'clock in the afternoon – with a temperature of 42 it's going to be uh it's going to be bad and and we'll see about the wind if the wind isn't all that bad the wind will not be that bad from what i'm looking at all right so i've got the hourly pulled up for newark uh thursday around 8 p.m the max wind is 15 miles per hour so could be a lot worse could be a lot worse the wind will increase uh the next day but yeah but it is a hundred percent chance of rain wow i mean it, is there a chance that they are going to have to, like, tarp the field before the game to prevent it just becoming a sloppy mess? Because, I mean, I see close to 100% starting at 4 p.m. That's a great question. I don't know if they would have to do that. I'm assuming that's a new facility. I would think the drainage is pretty phenomenal there. But it's a very good question in terms of will they try and protect it at all. But We don't need guys getting hurt yeah, tomorrow night. But at the, it, I, I mean, mean, not that the Jets do either. Both teams are trying to make it to the playoffs. Right, but, uh, but definitely um, it's, it's going to be very difficult conditions, and we saw that they didn't perform well in Philadelphia. So, again, I keep coming back to that was 70 days ago. Hopefully, and hopefully it was just a, a bad day at the office. Hopefully it, it just everything that could go wrong went wrong. But, uh, but, yeah, they're, they're going to have to prove that they can go out there in bad weather and 
get a victory against a really good defense. A really good defense. The, the, the only good news is I the Jets' run game does not scare me, even not having Fadakasi and Trayvon Walker, who will be out for the game. And Zach Wilson just does not scare me. So I still feel like if the Jaguars can get to 17, 20, that should be enough. And Zach Wilson might gift wrap 10 points for you. Uh, and I also think Jamal Agnew is, is going to do something with the punt yeah, return I think game. So. I think he can be a key. And, and in addition to punt return, using him with the misdirection like we saw last week, catching the Jets off guard. I don't worry as much about Zach Wilson pitching and catching – well, him pitching, but obviously Garrett Wilson, C.J. Ozoma, catching the ball in, in that type of weather. But for some reason, it just the ball security just does make me really nervous. Uh, quick National Signing Day update uh, brought to you by Harold Harrell all day today. The four-star cornerback that we talked about earlier, Dijon Johnson, has signed his letter of intent with Florida. So he is the 98th overall player, the third highest rated prospect in the class. So that was one that, that had not signed as, like we, as early as we expected, I should say. Uh, but now he has signed. So that is good news for Billy Napier and his staff. Absolutely. They've got three really outstanding safeties uh, in this class. And uh, Dijon Johnson might be the best one of them. The secondary is great because... You have two four-star corners. One, of course, is Sharif Denson from right here at Bartram Trail. Uh, so this class, and we'll get more into it, the, the class itself, probably people are disappointed with the ranking of it. Mm -hmm. You know, people were thinking, particularly after Jaden Rashada committed, okay, now you're seventh or eighth. Maybe they can push into four or five. Well, that didn't happen. They had this big recruiting weekend. Nothing ended up coming out of it. Um, so they're further down in the rankings. But there's so much more of a plan with this class. That's something that I think is exciting. Like, they absolutely got – they had to get big-time receivers. Mm -hmm. They did that. Mm -hmm. They had to get a slew of big-time defensive linemen. They did that. And they had to get a ton of elite defensive backs. And they did that. So, it seemed like with Mullins' classes, it was sort of haphazard. It was like, I'll take this guy here and I'll take this guy there and – it's like, what's the plan? Like, the roster would yeah, get I don't think he had a sort of out of balance. Right. This, this comes across as they absolutely had a plan of this is what we have to get accomplished. And in terms of blue chip players, they got it accomplished. It just doesn't have the five stars that you'd like to have. Is there a chance that Cormani McLean, who was going to Miami, but then now today said he's not going to commit today, didn't necessarily say he's not going to commit to Miami, but is there a chance that he ends up switching from Miami to another school like I think Florida? There's a, I don't think it'll be Florida, okay. but I think there's a chance he either goes to Alabama and you know Colorado's making a late push. Maybe Deion Sanders is able to, to sway him. But I would think Cormani McLean either sticks to his commitment, signs with Miami, or signs with Alabama because, you know, it's got to be alluring. You know, you look, if, if you're Cormani McLean, you look at what Alabama's brought in, you go sign with the Tide, you're now signing with the class that puts them over the top is arguably the greatest signing class we've ever seen. Alabama's going to be number one. Right. We already know that. But, uh, but adding Cormani McLean, now you probably are ahead of what Texas A&M was able to do last year. All right, more on the Jaguars coming up as well as a whole lot more when it comes to National Signing Day brought to you by Harold and Harold. You are listening to the Frangie Show on 1010XL 92.5 FM. It's a Kitchen and Flooring Design Center Wednesday on the Frangie Show. Make your home dreams come true with the Kitchen and Flooring Design Center.
Welcome back to the Frangie Show live here at Island Wing Company at Bartram Park. Hey, Carline. I'm Lauren Brooks. Frank Frangie has the rest of this week off. He, of course, will be calling Jaguars at the Jets tomorrow night. Trevor Lawrence going up against Zach Wilson. Dylan Denmark making it all happen back at 10 XL headquarters as Andrew Gibson has the week off as well. All right. We have a, a lovely friend who comes to see us all the time at every Island Wing we go to, Hayes, at both Island Wings, I should say, until there's a third one. And it's his 81st birthday tomorrow, so certainly happy early birthday to him. But happy he was, early birthday. But he was also asking us questions in the break that I, I was like, I was just about to talk about this on air. So we may as well dive right into it. Cam Robinson out, it sounds like, for the rest of the year. Doug Peterson didn't exactly say that, but reports today make it sound like he's going to need a remis- meniscus repair. Walker Little steps in. Do you have confidence in Walker Little at the left tackle, a really critical position? I, I have cautious confidence okay. and optimism in Walker Little. I, I think athletically he's everything that you need there. Uh, and I, I think he's ready. I think he plays with enough of an edge that, uh, that he'll, he'll do a good job. But it's, it's blind faith because we just haven't seen it enough over the course of his young career. So I'm, I'm optimistic that Walker Little will do well and it will not be a storyline, uh, Cam Robinson's injury. My biggest concern is if, you know, Jawan Taylor is, is going to probably gut one out, but he's not 100%. And so now you really start to fear they can't have another injury. They certainly can't have another injury at tackle. But even at anywhere on the offensive line, I mean, they, you know, they've lost Barch and now Cam Robinson. And if anything else happens, it's going to get – I think really dire and be a big challenge to the Jaguars to keep that unit functioning at a quality level if they sustain another injury. What about you? How do you feel about it? I think what we saw, the limited reps that we saw against the Cowboys made me think Doug Peterson and and Phil Rauscher have Walker Little ready, as ready as he can be. And they're also smart enough to know when they need to provide him help as far as chipping and and things like that. So I think think he'll be pretty good what concerns me is like you said if something if walker or sorry if Jawan taylor re-injures that hamstring and he has to go out now you are into an a less than ideal situation if you look at the jaguars depth chart walker little of course is listed as the right the backup right tackle but he's now your left tackle so that leaves blake hance who's going to be hopefully pretty good because they seem to like him but we certainly haven't seen any of him other than the few steps he took when he ran on the field and Brandon Scherf went down but that also tells me Hayes that Blake Hans is the backup guard and backup tackle and so then if somebody else gets hurt oh my goodness we can't see Cole Van, Do- Van land on his back as you so aptly named him yeah they that's the thing is you you hope Blake Hans and nothing against him you, you hope that he does not have to play an offensive snap over these however many more games left we have certainly three and hopefully it's more than three uh but they they just cannot afford and i tell you on the defensive front they really can't afford another one i mean now hopefully trayvon walker is somewhat close to returning hopefully fatakasi isn't weeks from you know hopefully that's just he'll miss this game and uh, with extra rest, be ready for Houston. We know Trayvon has the high ankle, so no surprise as far as missing a couple games. But Fadakasi, we have not heard that it's a high ankle. It's just a regular ankle sprain. I, is that correct? Uh, I guess. Okay. I mean, yeah, I don't think they've specifically commented on it. So, you know, we'll see. But And, again, if they can somehow get a win Thursday, and I say, I mean, it's a pick em game, but if they can beat the Jets, 
then you start to get some of the advantages. Then you get 10 days before you go to Houston. That's huge this time of year. And, uh, you know, and, and then we'll see where the Titans game is, you know, located on the schedule. Uh, but the because big- of the ramifications of that, the possibility of what that game could mean. That game could be Saturday night, Sunday night, who knows. Big news to me coming out of Nashville today, the fact that they put Josh Dobbs from the – they activated him from the practice squad to the active roster because they're not sure about Ryan Tannehill. It sounds like players are, are thinking that Malik Willis is going to get the start. Are you leaning my way that the Texans might win this ball game? I think there's – I think it's going to be a right down to the final minute kind of game. I, I think the Titans will win it because I think Derrick Henry against Houston has just been remarkable. Because um, Derrick Henry against everyone yeah. in the division has been remarkable. But if, I mean, but really, you – I mean, he's got, I think, like three 200-yard games against Houston. So – I'm going to sure. – I'm still sticking with the Titans would win even with Malik Willis at quarterback. And maybe Malik Willis breaks a couple runs uh, that, you know, that gives Tennessee a, a big boost. But I, And I'm not the biggest Tannehill fan anyway. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I do think it – I'm sure Tennessee would much rather have Tannehill 100%. Uh, and if he's inactive, it creates another challenge because a passing game that already isn't doing much – probably really starts to fall apart at least unless Malik Willis has really developed over the month since we saw him last. I just think Houston Houston's playing tough, but I just don't think they're that good. I just don't. I mean they're I mean they're splitting the quarterback snaps between Davis Mills and Jeff Driscoll for God's sakes and they don't have Damian Pierce. So I mean they I give them credit sure. for battling Dallas as hard as they did and then coming right back and battling Kansas City as hard as they did. But I'd be surprised if they actually win the game against Tennessee. They'll probably play them really close, but Tennessee will do something late to pull it out would be what I would think would happen. By the way, the Titans, I mean the Texans, excuse me, have Dario Gumbawale as the starting running back and A.J. Can as the right guard. So we talked about how the, te- the actual Titans have multiple former Jaguars, four that at least played in the game uh, that we just saw up in Nashville, and now multiple players – formerly Jaguars playing on the Texans, I feel like that's always a bad sign for those teams because this team obviously has not been very good. All right, Quinn Williams, questionable. He's going to be a game-time decision is the latest that I read. Have the Jets released? Because the Jaguars I have not seen, released theirs before they got on the plane. Right. I have not seen the Jets release theirs, but Which I'm assuming it's because they're a home team. Yeah, but they're, I mean, it's 4 o'clock. You'd like to think that the Jets have their injury report ready to go, but... I don't see anything yet. We'll keep we'll keep monitoring it to see because Quinn and Williams. Yeah, would their be, official website doesn't have anything listed for today yeah, yet. Yeah, well, we'll see, but uh, but yeah, the Quinn and Williams injury is going to be gigantic for them if he can't go. Absolutely, and that's where you know if you're Walker Little making your fourth career start, you are probably watching that injury report very closely. Am I going to have to face a guy like Quinn and Williams uh, or not? That would that would certainly be a, a key. How do you think that the Jaguars will align the receivers going up against a guy who's so good in Sauce Gardner? I, I think this actually sets up well for the Jaguars okay. because you just—it's it, to me—it's it's easy if you're Doug Peterson. You just tell Trevor Lawrence and you tell the receivers, "Look, nothing against you guys, but if Sauce Gardner is covering Christian, don't throw it to Christian." You know, throw it to Marvin or Zay or Evan. I mean, the beauty of the Jaguars' attack, if, you know, if, if there's a beauty to not having a dominant star, mm-hmm. then the beauty is they're two 
three, four guy is all pretty good and is all playing well. I mean, Zay Jones has certainly got a hot hand. He shook off the disappointing performance in Detroit. It's been outstanding. Christian Kirk's been solid all year. I would think the Jets are going to play Gardner just where they like to play him. I don't think they'll move him. So if I was the Jaguars, I would just totally take advantage of their other corners. I wouldn't. Detroit didn't target Soft Gardner once last week. That's the game plan I'd stick with. I, I would. I would stay completely away from him. I think that makes perfect sense, and it's kind of like what the Cowboys did against Tyson Campbell. I I can't remember Tyson Campbell being super involved last week, and I think that's because, and it was really just a few days ago at this point, I think that's because the Cowboys were like, look, he's their best corner. We're going to go after Trey Herndon. Anytime Trey Herndon is covering CeeDee Lamb, and that's not a knock against Trey Herndon, CeeDee Lamb is an excellent wide receiver. We're going to target CeeDee Lamb, and especially when he's in the middle of the field, and, and that's where they saw success. I, again, I just keep going back to this weather. As long as the Jaguars, I think, can prevent any turnovers, as long as they have good ball security, I think they win the game because I believe they have the better – they definitely have the better quarterback. I even think they have the better coach too. I, I do too. I mean, Doug Peterson is, is again, he's, you're going to start to really see some buzz about Doug Peterson because now you've got – all right, he's already won a Super Bowl. Now look at what he's doing with a team that had won four games combined the last two years. He's got six. They could get to nine. They could win a division. It's a weak division, but they could win the division. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think Robert Sala has uh, done a good job of building the culture there with the Jets. He's a good defensive mind. He's not Doug Peterson, uh, in my opinion. Not yet. And so I do think the Jaguars have – certainly they have a gigantic advantage at quarterback and they have an advantage at head coach. Um, I'm anxious to see this game means so much to the Jets that I have to think the crowd is going to be electric. Mm -hmm. But it does make me wonder, you know, does the weather prevent maybe it being as fervent as it would normally be uh, with the stakes? Or maybe those fans just they don't care. It's 40 degrees and it's raining and we're going. (laughs) So, you know, we'll see. But I I think the environment's going to be – really interesting because it's not going to be a fun game to watch in person um but uh so this is going to test you know the fandom of of the jets fans my guess is they'll respond it's a huge market uh it's they've got you know a diehard fan base and it's again they're seven and seven they've got to have the game we talked about their schedule after this at seattle at miami last game of its of the season it met life for the jets so probably going to be rocking but but we can hope but there is the element of (laughs) Does the rain kind of slow it down a little bit? Right, and, and just to remember, Robert Solid took over a team from Adam Gase that went 2-14 and 14 the year before he took it over. But the year before that, Adam Gase had the Jets at 7-9. and nine. So what Doug Peterson inherited was a team that had one win before Urban Meyer and then the Urban Meyer just complete and utter disaster. So Doug Peterson, when he talked about having to build trust in the locker room, that wasn't just, you know, him talking in cliches, coaching cliches. That was, oh, my gosh, you have no idea the mess that this place has been between not just all the losing, but also a guy that came in here and berated his players and, and certainly didn't respect the league and, and all that kind of stuff. I right, will keep it on uh, the Jaguars and Jets. We'll also talk about Franco Harris and a whole lot more National Signing Day as well, the early one. You are listening to The Frangie Show live from Island Wings at Bartram Park on a Kitchen and Flooring Design Center Wednesday on 10 to next on 2.5 FM.
It's a Kitchen and Flooring Design Center Wednesday on The Frangie Show. Make your home dreams come true with the Kitchen and Flooring Design Center. Frank Frangie is up in New York, the Big Apple. He'll be calling Jaguars at Jets tomorrow night. All the coverage starts tomorrow at 3 o'clock right here on 10 to Excel on 2.5 FM. Hey, Skyline is here. I'm Lauren Brooks, still in Denmark, back at 10 to Excel headquarters for Andrew Gibson, who has the week off. All right, Hayes, quick National Signing Day news. When it comes to the class rankings, do you feel comfortable now that, that because we're later in the day that this is pretty close to where we will be at the end of this close period of early National Signing Day? I, I would think uh, there's a couple more uh, big-time prospects that uh, we'll announce tomorrow. Okay. Uh, but I wouldn't think anything that's going to – I mean, Alabama's going to have the best Alabama's going to be number one. They're, they're locked in. So Georgia most likely will finish second. I think Georgia will finish second. Unless Cormani McLean changes his mind and then commits to Miami in the 11th hour, and could that lift Miami over Georgia? I don't think so because okay. I think right now on the rankings they're including – See, this is where it gets tricky because it's like, who are you counting is signed or committed? Right. And, and how does that whole thing work? Like, if you look at Miami right now on the 24-7, they are ranked fourth, but they are still listing Cormani McLean in the class as a hard commitment. Okay. Um, so, you know, there, there could be some fluctuation, but I, I would think that we're 90% done okay. with, uh, with the blue chip prospects in this class and uh, and we'll see and right now just to give everybody kind of a an update on on the teams we cover so again this is the 24 7 uh, sports com- uh, team composite rankings they have this was updated at 404 so about 15 minutes ago they have Georgia second Miami fourth Florida, with Texas third uh, yes okay uh, Alabama, Georgia, Texas, Miami, Ohio State is the top five. Okay. Uh, and then in terms of Florida, 12th, Florida State, 21st. Interesting. So on three has it slightly different. On three has Alabama one, Georgia two, of course, but then Miami three, Florida 10th, and Florida State 19th. And this is updated as of three minutes ago. Okay. So it is, I mean, it, we're nitpicking, obviously, if you're trying to figure out why one is 10 and why one is 12. But overall, I think other than maybe if you were hoping Florida State could get into the top 15, I, I think you'd be pretty happy. Gator Nation is never happy, but put them aside. Miami fans obviously thrilled with their class. Yes. Florida, if you're at 10 to 12 in Billy Napier's second year, the way this year went, I think you should be pretty happy. And Florida State, look, this is a big jump from where they've been now with Mike Norvell. I think what stands out to me about Florida and Florida State is they just don't have the numbers. You know, Florida's got – 20 commitments now florida state has 16 uh, i i am surprised florida state didn't do a little bit better since they had such positive momentum early in the year okay and late in the year they had the three game losing streak but for the most part they had a lot of positive momentum and uh and then to finish 21st if that's where this ends up and it might not but they have 16 commitments and on the 24 7 only seven are blue chips, six four-stars, and then they have the five-star receiver. Um, I'm a little surprised. Now, they do great in the portal, um, you know, but I, I would think that 
as you get further into this with Mike Norvell, you'd like to start seeing that get a little bit better. I mean, Auburn's 19th. They just hired their guy. Uh, Utah's 20th. Utah should never finish with a better class than Florida State, but they've got five more commitments. Uh, so, again, I think the numbers being low, Florida State with 16, Florida with 20. The teams that Florida is just behind, Notre Dame, Tennessee, Clemson, all have at least 25 commitments. Clemson has 26. So I think a big part of it is the volume just isn't there. And that makes sense. Uh, Billy Napier sounds like he is meeting with the, or looks like he's meeting with the media currently. And Jaden Rashada, there, I'm looking at a list of all the different commits, and Jaden Rashada is not listed on there, the, the five-star quarterback, so or four-star quarterback. So you've got Billy Napier probably about to answer that question about Jaden Rashada, who was expected to sign today. Uh, and obviously that's where if you're Georgia, if you're Florida State, you're not as focused on who your quarterback is going to be for next year. You, you Certainly, Georgia, you're very comfortable where you stand. Florida, obviously, is, is concerned that it could be Graham Mertz, and so they are, are really wanting to see Jaden Rashada uh, sign today. Yeah, I mean, if, if Jaden Rashada doesn't end up in this class, then I think that's going to be probably one of the most uh, surprising elements of this entire process. I mean, it would be... I guess surprising just that it happened when it happened. Now, obviously, he was committed to Miami for a couple months, mm-hmm. flips to Florida, um, and he is from California. So, you know, we'll see We'll see where it ends up. But uh, it is interesting that Billy Napier is looks like going to go ahead and start his 4 o'clock press conference uh, is running late. But it will be interesting to see. I'm sure they would love to have that signature because he's obviously going to be asked, and there's not really a whole lot he can say. I mean, mm-hmm. He's not allowed to comment right. on a specific recruit that has yet to sign. Um, and Matt Hayes, by the way, wrote a terrific article today on Saturday Down South, and, and the headline is, or the title is, Already in, in, in must-win mode, Billy Napier better hope Jaden Rashada is ready from day one, and that's because he says the quarterback isn't Graham Mertz. It better be Jaden Rashada. Well, if you don't have Jaden Rashada... Uh, I think things get a little dicey. And like you said, Jaden Rashada it himself could be make or break for Billy Napier. If you don't have him, oh, then I think you're talking about a really sour fan base. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I mean, if, if Graham Mertz is your starter, then you need to probably go back to the drawing board. And look, maybe Graham Mertz will show up at Florida and be outstanding. But it seems like there's a low probability of that. I mean, again, you're talking about somebody who's thrown 38 touchdowns and 26 picks in their career. The only positive I can say about Graham Mertz, other than he's 6'3", 227, he's plenty big, big enough, is he is battle-tested. I mean, he, he's, been, he's played at Ohio State. He's played at Michigan. Uh, he's played at Michigan State. He's played Penn State. He's played Notre Dame. He's played Iowa every year. Um, so he... Playing in the SEC won't be as big of a jump for him as it would be for a Sam Hartman or for a Cam Rising or for certainly a Michael Pratt uh, out of Tulane or the Grayson McCall kid that plays for Coastal, Coastal Carolina. Carolina. Um, so that's the only thing that Mertz has that you don't have to worry about him in those environments. And he's got the experience, but he just hasn't shown that he's any good. I mean – He's, you look at these numbers, these are pedestrian numbers. So you, you then have to have the leap of faith that Billy Napier is able to unlock something in Graham Mertz. 
that wasn't there before. And I think that's uh, I think that's a long shot. I think you know Wisconsin probably has pretty good coaches, and you know maybe maybe the offensive system was a little you know antiquated there. I mean we have no idea, but uh, anyway, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all works out. It sure will, and we'll certainly keep you updated with any Billy Napier quotes that are important. Uh, by the way, quick transfer portal news: Georgia tight end Eric Gilbert has re-entered the transfer portal. So he wow. originally was at LSU. Then he played in three games at Georgia this season. And for a minute, he was flirting with the University of Florida, but then ended up going to Georgia and now has re-entered the transfer portal. So it feels like he's somebody who his college career may not end up being what we thought it might be with the talent that he has. Yeah, and and again, this is what you're going to see. I mean, we saw Emory Jones today announce he's going to Cincinnati. So it's now Florida, Arizona Arizona State, State. Cincinnati. And so I I think you're just going to see this, that – uh, the the average, you know, for every college athlete, college football player is probably going to be two schools that they go to in their career because there's going to be a lot that go to three or four, it looks like. And it looks like the, uh, the outliers will be the guys that signed with a college, stayed with that college the whole time, and then either graduated and went on with their lives or go to the NFL or, or whatever. But Arizona um, State, I think, wins. I mean, no offense to Emory Jones, but we obviously watched him up close and personal uh, when he was the quarterback at Florida. Drew Pine, the quarterback that was the majority for this season for Notre Dame, pretty good quarterback, transferred from Notre Dame to Arizona State. So I think that's a big upgrade for them. I would agree. Uh, I'm, frankly, I'm a little surprised Emory Jones got Cincinnati. Because, um, you know, Cincinnati is a pretty good program. I mean, they just were in the playoff last year. So, uh, but, but anyway, I, I just think it's where the world's headed. But yep. certainly Gilbert's very talented. But so that's now he's been at LSU, then committed then, to Florida. Correct. But then but ended up going to Georgia. That, went to Georgia, and now he's going somewhere else. So, uh, again, it'll be, be interesting to see. Georgia will not miss him, though. They are just going <laughs> to continue to have the best tight end room in the country as long as Mr. Bowers is still there. You got that right. And certainly they have other guys too. But, man, Brock Bowers is so good. I hope he is one day a Jacksonville Jaguar. The coconut shrimp were just delivered. So that means we will eat those in the break. And also you can keep on coming by here and registering for your chance to win VIP tickets to Welcome to Rockville 2023. A couple weeks ago gave you that full lineup. It is incredible. So come on by here, Island Wings, Barton Park, and register for a chance to win those tickets. You're listening to The Frangie Show on 1010XL 92.5 FM. It's a kitchen and flooring design center Wednesday on The Frangie Show. Make your home dreams come true with the kitchen and flooring design center. Welcome back to The Frangie Show. Live here at Island Wing Company, Bartram Park on a Kitchen and Flooring Design Center. Wednesday, you always hear us talk about the Kitchen and Flooring Design Center. That's because they redid Frank's home. They redid our home, our floors, our kitchen, and our shower. It was just a fantastic experience, and I highly, highly recommend them. Hayes Carline is here. I'm Lauren Brooks, still in Denmark, back at 1010XL headquarters. Frank Frangie is up in the Big Apple ahead of Jaguars Jets, and Andrew Gibson has the week off as well. Hayes, I'm just now seeing this news that Titans quarterback Ryan Tannehill is likely done, this coming from Paul Kaharski, likely done for the season. I did not realize that the foot injury could be quite that bad. I thought, yes, he might sit out this coming game against the Texans, but because he went back in the game, I thought he would just automatically return later this season. And again, I mean, we've we've talked about how the Jaguars got zero breaks in October. Absolutely. Seemed to be getting a, spooky October. a lot of breaks in December. 
um, both, uh, you know, on and off the field because the, the not that you ever want to see anybody get hurt, but right. let's just, I mean, this does help the Jaguars. Uh, if, if Ryan Tannehill is out for the year, then it absolutely opens up where you're going to get two games with Malik Willis to watch yep. before you get to uh, to January 8th or not, whenever the, the finale is. So Mike Caldwell, Doug Peterson, they're going to be able to see Malik Willis against the Texans and the Cowboys, and obviously they'll have the, the tape from earlier in the year, but they'll have a much better idea of what to expect out of Malik Willis if that final game is for the AFC South title. So if Tannehill's out for the year, it takes a lot of veteran savvy away from that offense. And again, it makes a passing attack that right now looks like the worst in the NFL. It basically goes away. I mean, it basically will be Malik Willis. They'll probably try and run him 15 times. And obviously they'll try and run Derrick Henry 35 times if they can. If, if the Jaguar game settles the division. It took a special quarterback performance from Trevor Lawrence. Granted, there, were, there was an interception and there was a fumble, but overall, Trevor Lawrence played extraordinarily well against the Cowboys. It took a special performance from him to beat that team. It feels like a rookie without much experience in Malik Willis, who wasn't hailed as a generational talent to begin with, is going to have a really tough time beating the Cowboys. And, and really, frankly, the Jaguars. Maybe they can win against Texans, but those upcoming two teams, I think that's a, a really tough slate. Well, and again, it's a short week. That's going to hurt Malik Willis. Yep. The Dallas game is a Thursday night game. It is in Nashville, so that helps. He'll have a tepid crowd environment uh, to work with. Because uh, I've, I've never thought the Tennessee fans get all that into the games there. But but we'll see. It's a Thursday night game and Dallas is coming in. But it's because they're I, still drunk I, from Tootsies. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if Dallas travels well to mm-hmm. Nashville. Oh, absolutely. You know, that time of year. So you really don't even know what kind of a home advantage Tennessee will have in that Thursday night game. But, again, if Malik Willis is, is the guy now, 20 carries for 80 yards, four-yard four average, that's nothing to write home about. No rushing touchdowns. And he's only attempted 38 passes on the season, completed 17 of those um, (laughs) with uh, no touchdowns and one pick. So, yeah, you would think that uh, you would think that if it's Malik Willis now for the rest of the season, the Titans are going to be all about Derrick Henry and the run game and trying to design something for Malik Willis that, you know, basically is a is a one read. And if it's there, throw it. And if it's not, take off. You mentioned earlier Foley Fadakasi is not going to be able to play against the Jets tomorrow night. Does that mean that Adam Gotsis will step into that role? I, I think that's a good bet, and, and I think he's a good player. I, I, you know, he, there was a week this year where they released him, and uh, they were able to get him back. Uh, I think Gotsis is an underrated player. You'd love to have Fadakasi as well because it's going to affect your, your depth, and guys are going to have to play more snaps than maybe you'd like them to with Fadakasi and Trayvon Walker out. But I'm not, I'm not really too concerned about either one because I do like Gotsis. And really, to be honest, I want to see Arden Key and Dewan Smoot get more snaps. So I'd love to have Trayvon Walker. But I'm not panicked that I don't have him for this matchup. I thought Caleb on Chason, I didn't ever watch him, you know, every single snap by any means last week. But I thought for... What was expected of him, I thought he played pretty well. Well, and Chason should have all the motivation he needs in this game because he absolutely dogged it 
last year in the loss to the Jets mm -hmm. when Zach Wilson's able to run for 50 yards and a touchdown. This isn't Justin Fields. I mean, give me a break. And, and he would have gotten 10 yards, except Calevon Chason quits on the play because he thinks Zach Wilson's going to run out of bounds. Right. And the next thing you know, Zach Wilson runs 40 more yards for a touchdown. So if anybody mm -hmm. should be motivated to make the most of their defensive snaps, it should be Calevon Chason after that disgraceful <laughs> effort in the loss last year. We talked about this a little bit on Homeless and Hills last night. Imagine if the Jets had made the correct pick and taken Justin Fields. How much better would that team be? They'd probably have 10 wins, don't you think? I mean, they'd probably, they're 7-7. Seven and seven, Right. I and think we, at least 10 wins. At least. Because they have such a good defense. And Justin Fields, people always want to talk about his running ability, and that is great. Don't get me wrong. He now has 1,000 yards. That puts him in rare air. But he's also a pretty good passer, too. And so you add the element of running, and especially the fact that Jets lost Brees Hall, so you add that running element in, I think they'd be really good. And obviously this matchup, we would be talking about a completely different game plan for the Jaguars, especially the defense going up against Justin Fields. No question about it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a bad pick. I mean, look, it, 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 it may change, but based on all the evidence that we have to this point, there's no doubt the Jets messed it up. And should have taken Justin Fields. But, you know, credit Chicago. and Thank you, Frank Gore Jr. Yeah, definitely credit. Uh, or Sr., right? Yeah, Frank Gore. Yeah, Frank Gore Sr. Frank Gore Jr. just ran for over 300 yards and all that fun credit stuff. Credit them all. <laughs> really, the Gores. I'm giving have... Al Gore credit. <laughs> I, I'm sure he'll take that. As a matter of fact, uh, I want to get back to National Signing Day. Someone tweeted me this thought, and, and I think it's got merit. Uh, Jared tweeted me that he was asking, why do we keep talking about Graham Mertz as if he's actually committed to the University of Florida? The report came from one athletic reporter, and that's G. Allen Taylor, and not from a slew of reporters. And so is it possible that maybe the source or sources were inaccurate and Graham Mertz is not necessarily going to be Florida's quarterback? I would say it's more than just one report. So, unfortunately, I think it's true. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I would love nothing more than to see Billy Napier combat that and say that, no, uh, that is, uh, that is, that is uh, premature and inaccurate. But it's not just the athletic. The athletic broke it, I think. Um, but you're seeing it on multiple – you know, I, I, can, I can tell you this, 24-7 does these – crystal balls uh -huh. and three of their Florida guys have crystal balled Graham Mertz to Florida. Now, okay. I don't know if that's, they're basing that off of a report they saw or if they've worked to confirm it, you know, that I don't know, but, uh, but I would be surprised if, if the Graham Mertz thing isn't happening okay. based on, I, I do think it's more than just one report. Like I said, would love nothing more <laughs> than to see that it's not accurate and that the Gators are, are, still looking for their transfer portal quarterback. All right, but, I just wanted to yeah. clarify that. Uh, by the way, back to Jaguars-Jets. The Jets injury report is now out. Three players, no, sorry, four players are out. Well, we already knew Mike White was out, the quarterback. Three other players are out. Brandon Eagles, the, he is a cornerback. He's out with a quad injury. Denzel Mims, a wide receiver, out with a concussion. And Jeff Smith, also a wide receiver, out with a knee injury. LaMarcus Joyner, the safety, is questionable. Bam Knight, Running back is questionable. Quinnen Williams, this is, of course, the interesting part. He was a full participant at practice today, listed as questionable with a calf injury. 
I feel like that's bad news for the Jaguars. That's bad news. Usually when guys are, are practicing fully, uh, they're able to give it a go. And, and, again, this is their season for the Jets. I mean, I, I don't think they can go to 7-8 and eight and then go win at Seattle and Miami to get in. So, uh, you know, it, it, you're probably going to have to battle Quinnen Williams, who does have 11 sacks. He's been outstanding. You just have to hope that maybe he's not quite 100% and uh, – Maybe can't play the amount of snaps he normally would. And Corey Davis, who used to play for the Titans, so the Jaguars' defense is certainly familiar with him, the wide receiver. He had had a concussion, but he was able to practice yesterday and today, so he has no game status listed, no game injury status, I should say, listed. So he will be able to play. So the Jaguars now certainly up in New York and uh, have an idea of exactly, I would say, what they're dealing with. It, it does seem like Quinnen Williams is probably going to give it a go. All right, so the Jaguars defeat the Cowboys in, at least around here, certainly a legendary game. The Jaguars have a quick turnaround against the Jets. Do you think that if they didn't have Doug Peterson, we would feel less confident about this quick turnaround? But because Doug Peterson is there and how well he's done in short week situations, that we can almost sit back and relax a little bit? I I think so. I I don't think this will come down to they weren't prepared. You know, if, if, if they end up losing the game, I'd be surprised if we all feel like they weren't prepared. Um, I think it helps when you have an offensive-minded head coach in these situations because the offensive-minded head coach does not worry about the one million things the opponent might throw at you. I think the, the offensive-minded head coach says, okay, Trevor, what do you feel comfortable with? We're going to pare it down, obviously. We're going to have one day to basically get ready. So we need to focus on the Jets. But just tell me, you know, give me uh, our bare bones version of what you feel the best about right now. Mm -hmm. And we're going to work it off of that. And whereas I think the defensive minded head coach, there's almost a sense of panic because you don't have as much time as you'd like to have to get ready for the opposing offense. So, you know, if if I had to guess as to why Doug Peterson's had a, a good record on short weeks, that would be it. And, I, again, I think this goes back to it helps that he's played in the league. Uh, now, the Thursday night game probably wasn't as big a component when Doug Peterson played as it is now. But uh, but short weeks were, were have always been around. And I'm sure that through his long career he had, you know, time to kind of look at what worked and what didn't work with head coaches that, that he was under. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have full confidence they'll be ready to play. I just – I just worry about the weather, and I worry about the Jets' defense. And unfortunately for you, you weren't worried about the weather until you showed up for the show, and I'd let you know. I was only worrying about the Jets' defense. (laughs) Now I've got multiple things I'm worrying about. I am so sorry. It's okay. Hey, we need to be prepared. uh, And look, Trevor Lawrence. I mean, Garrett Wilson's a good player. He is. Sorry. No, you're good. But again, as long as Zach Wilson is the one taking the snaps, I'm not going to worry. I mean, he might throw a brilliant touchdown tomorrow night. I'm ready for that. I'm also ready for the two or three huge mistakes that I think he's going to make. I think Trevor Lawrence needs a wet weather game, a bad weather game, to get over kind of what happened against the Eagles. For his psyche, not look, he's a very confident guy. He has all the belief in himself, all the belief in his teammates, his coach and, and all the quarterback coach or the other coaches that he deals with. Tons of confidence in them. But I do think that that can stick with you. And so I think if he has another multiple fumble game, that's going to be part of the narrative. Wow, Trevor was so fantastic in 2022. But if it rains, remember Blake Bortles, of course you do. Blake Bortles 
if it was windy at all, we all knew. Here's a quarterback who struggles to throw a beautiful ball to begin with. You throw in wind, and oh boy, the Jaguars are losing that game. It doesn't matter how well they run the ball. You don't want Trevor Lawrence to be stuck with, yeah, he's really good. He's a generational talent, unless it's raining. Well, and again, he's going to have to get used to playing in bad weather because if the Jaguars are really for real and this has sustainability and, and they're great, you're going to have to make some playoff trips to Buffalo and Kansas City. And you might have to do it this year because this year, if they win the AFC South, they're going to be the fourth seed. That's locked in, uh, which means that, you know, they'll get to host the first game. Maybe in the, the wild Ravens. Card round or Chargers. Yeah, something yeah, like Chargers. that. Okay, that's fine. You're here. Well, then, if you win, Buffalo's the one seed. It looks like Kansas City's going to be the two seed. Cincinnati's a three. So there's really no – you're not getting a dome. You're getting outdoors well north of here where it could certainly be – I mean, Buffalo is – it could be awful. Yeah, thanks a lot, Dolphins, for not right. winning the AFC East. Yeah, so <laughs> – Although I never thought we'd be having that conversation this so year. it is something he is going to have to work through. You know, there, there are just not that many dome sites – of teams that are really spectacular in the AFC like you'd have in the NFC. All right, we will get it back to National Signing Day and keep it on the Jaguars-Jets game coming up tomorrow night. You are listening to the Frangie Show live at Island Wing in Bartram Park. And remember, come on by to win for a chance to win VIP tickets to Welcome to Rockville 2023. Tons of great bands for that three-day concert that comes up in May at Daytona International Speedway. We will pick a winner at the end of this month and certainly let you know if you won. So come on by for a chance to win those tickets. And, of course, get some coconut shrimp and enjoy the party going on here at Island Wing as the Christmas music is playing and everybody is in a good mood because it is the holiday season. All right, we've got more to do on the Frangie Show on 10 XL 92.5 FM. It's a kitchen and flooring design center Wednesday on the Frangie Show. Make your home dreams come true with the kitchen and flooring design center. That's right, the Jacksonville Jaguars go up, well, they went up to New York today, and then they'll play the New York Jets in New Jersey tomorrow night, kicking off around 8.20 on Amazon Prime. And, Dylan, what local channel will it be on? <laughs> I think it's on Fox 30. <laughs> it is on Fox 30, that is correct. I make that joke because when we weren't sure of that, uh, Dylan received a lot of phone calls, so we appreciate everyone who listens and had that excellent information to share with us so that we could share it with all of you. And Dylan only had to answer about 100 phone calls uh, during that time frame. All right, Hayes, what is the latest when it comes to the Gators? Because it doesn't seem like we know what's happening. Yeah, I think the, the Jaden Rashada thing is, is really interesting. Billy Napier was scheduled to speak with reporters at 4 o'clock. That is yet to happen, <laughs> uh, which tells me that they must be really uh, in crisis mode. You don't normally see that. You might see 20 minutes of a delay. Yep. Um, did we have something breaking? Not necessarily anything breaking other than G. Allen Taylor tweeted. Now, he's the one who had broken the Graham Mertz to Florida News, but he, he just tweeted Florida's 4 p.m. signing day presser has yet to begin. It's 4.52. This is the interesting part. And the distributed list of signees has been recalled. And I don't think Rashada was on the list. He was list. not on the list. So it's not to so take him off of correct. it. Correct. Um, and everybody else seems to be on board there's no there's no one else that florida is waiting on 
to sign. Rashada is it. Everybody that was part of the class, I, I say that. They had a, a prospect that I think they cooled on that uh, went to UCF, signed with UCF today. Uh, yes, they did. Lakewood four-star edge Isaiah Nixon. Yes, but in terms of guys that they were expecting to get, uh, they're all in. They've got uh, 19 letters of intent. The university has uh, – so in terms of taking the list back, you know, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Is there somebody that is having second, second thoughts, thoughts yep. that has already actually signed the letter of intent? Right. Um that would be a surprise because they almost seem like, you know, you they see them on social media and you certainly see all the interaction that they've been having. So uh, it, it's very interesting, though. If Jaden Rashada was on the original list, then I think you'd be getting Absolutely. incredibly nervous. <laughs> but I think you have to be kind of incredibly nervous anyway because, <laughs> again, he is out in California. Sometimes, you know, players want to do their signing day ceremony in the afternoon, mm-hmm. 2 or 3 o'clock. Okay, well, that would be – you know, right about now or in, in, in the next hour right? Uh, uh, in Pacific time. So very interesting to see. And, with again, with NIL out there, you just don't know what kind of offer, if any, did, did Jaden Rashada possibly get this morning or last night that's changed uh, or at least made him conflicted about where he was going to start his college football career. Right. Certainly when every other commit to this point that they expected has signed, you would have already expected Jaden Rashada to be on that list. Certainly that is the interesting part right now that we are following. Uh, And hopefully by the time we're off the air, there will be some news that we can give to you. Obviously, if you're not a Gator fan, you hope that Jaden Rashada goes elsewhere. I certainly understand that. Uh, for all the Gator fans out there, they certainly are hoping that we can deliver them some calming and peaceful news that Jaden Rashada signed and Billy Napier announces that uh, momentarily. All right, when it comes to other classes, we talked about it at the top of the show as far as teams in the top of the composite rankings that maybe surprised us a little bit. To me, obviously, Alabama 1, Georgia 2, and Miami or Texas three and four, respectively, Ohio State five. I, I think those are all fairly obvious other than maybe Miami because of the season that Miami had. Texas has pretty much always recruited well, even if they haven't been good the season before. They have great facilities, a ton of uh, money in that program, so great resources. Texas is pretty much always going to be a pretty good uh, recruiting hotbed. But Miami, I think, has been a surprise, but certainly a lot of people expect that that's because of NIL money going to the NLIs, the letter of intent. Nicely done. Yeah, and (laughs) and obviously at Miami, there is a world of playing time opportunities everywhere. I mean, everywhere. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Florida and Miami have that. Yeah, so they can sell that as well. And and Mario Cristobal has a reputation for being an outstanding recruiter. Uh, So, obviously, that is what they have sold, and they've done a great job of it. And uh, you look at it again. The top ten. But let's just stick with your list. Sure. Uh, but who this is, do, which so is who on three. Okay. So who do you have six through ten? Six is LSU. LSU has one five star, and then seventeen four stars, and th- seven three stars. Then you've got Oregon at number seven, Notre Dame at number eight, Oklahoma at number nine, and Florida at number ten. Okay, that's interesting. So Florida's twelfth on the twenty four seven list. But just going through those, LSU, no surprise. Brian Kelly with yep. all of his experience. Had a great year. Uh, that Comes from a great base, family. Great family. <laughs> well done. Um, so you knew that, that LSU was going to recruit well. Yep. I think they've got to be very happy with that. Traditionally recruit Oregon well. Oregon anyway. at seven is a, a big win for Dan Lanning. 
because uh, they didn't, you know, they get blown out by Georgia early on. They get off to a rough start. They rally a little bit, but, you know, they didn't win their conference. Uh, but that's an outstanding job. And, again, you wonder about the whether it was promised or whether just the opportunity for NIL when that's basically Nike University. Exactly. Uh, you wonder about uh, Oregon. I think Oklahoma at eight or, or in the top ten sure. is a surprise at nine on your list uh, because they weren't particularly strong. And Brent Venables, it's his first time as a head coach, obviously comes from a great recruiting powerhouse in Clemson. But that one's a little bit of a surprise. Notre Dame fell, and, and I am a little surprised. They had a big – they lost a big prospect today to Oregon. Um, so Marcus Freeman, who was in the top three pretty much the entire recruiting year, uh, falls to ninth uh, – or eighth on your list, ninth on, on this one. Uh, you know, again, it's a good – it's a good – class there's nothing wrong with it but probably for where they were uh, a little disappointing in that and again I think with Florida the disappointment is that no one really came in in the last few weeks you know Jaden Rashada if he lands in this class was really the last one it's a it's a very good class it's not excellent it, it doesn't close the gap to Georgia at all Georgia's got a much better class but there is at least a plan here that's been executed where Florida knew they had to go out and get blue chip defensive linemen. You get five blue chips, five guys that are four stars. They've got 18 four stars in the class of their uh, 20 prospects. Five are on the defensive line, five are in the secondary, uh, three are at receiver. Those were critical needs. So it feels like there was more of an actual plan and that plan was executed than at any point that I can remember where under McIlwain and Mullen, it felt like it was just sort of haphazard. The roster and net balance never made a lot of sense. And, uh, and then with Muschamp, it was all on the defensive side. There was no balance at all offense to defense. The offense would get very little in recruiting. The defense would do quite well. This feels like there's good balance. There's playmakers at receiver uh, coupled with what they absolutely had to have, which is a complete defensive overhaul. And you've done that in the defensive line and in the secondary. Yeah, I think that's an excellent breakdown. Good job, Hayes. Uh, when it comes to Florida State, they're third in the ACC, so they're just behind Miami and Clemson in the ACC. They've got one five-star, according to 24-7 Sports Composite, the wide receiver, Hakeem Williams. And then they've got a lot of help when it comes to the offensive line, the defensive line. They've also got some athletes, receiver, running back. They've got one quarterback in Brock Glenn, who I believe, yeah, he's 6'2", 195, so they've got you know a little bit of help in, when it comes to the quarterback room. So I think FSU, based off of how Mike Norvell has done in the transfer portal and how this class has come together, I think, and again, knowing who your quarterback is going into next season is a huge help there too. I think Mike Norvell's done a great job, and, and again, he will mine that transfer portal very well. Yeah, I, I'm not as high on Florida State's class. I, I, I think you look, they're 20th on the 24-7 sports team rankings. 16 commitments, so like we talked about, there's not, there's not the 25. Right. If there was 25, they'd be much higher. The, uh, so it's a small group of 16. But of that 16, to only have seven that are blue-chip prospects. On this list, they have six four-stars and uh, the, the five-star receiver. That's a little disappointing considering, again, they had a lot of buzz in September, the hot start, a lot of buzz now. 
the most buzz they've had is now. They've won five in a row. They're going to play a bowl game in Orlando. A lot of momentum. They've got a lot of guys coming back. Um, so I'm surprised that they weren't able to, you know, pull that into a, a more comparable class with Florida and Miami. Again, and Lauren, you, you bring up the blue chip ratio, and it's, it's a great list to reference. So if these numbers held, Miami would have 17 blue chips of their 26. That's pretty good. Yep. Florida would have 18 blue chips of their 20, which is outstanding. And then Florida State, six of their 16. So you'd probably like that to be a little closer if you're the Knowles. Yeah, that's a very good point. The one thing, though, that you did say, they have a lot of guys coming back. I wonder if that kind of limited the amount of players that they could bring in in this class because, obviously, with Florida, a lot of guys, like over 20 players, have decided to hit the transfer portal or, or you know, leave of their own volition, whereas Florida State, everybody wants to be there. And so you, you certainly want to be in that position if you're a Noel fan that, that guys want to play for Norvell and also have been good enough to step up the level of competition. We're at Florida, not so much. Uh, anything coming out of no I don't see anything coming out of the Billy Napier press conference so I'm guessing that uh, he has not yet started uh, and so yeah we're just going to continue to wait and wonder at uh, two classes I did want to mention also Hayes when it comes to the composite rankings the fact that we have breaking news okay go for it <clears throat> okay Nick Delatore who covers the Gators yep. is just tweeted the Gators 2023 recruiting class list Rashada is in the class. So that is what they were waiting for the past hour and 10 minutes. Uh, yes, Billy Napier, I can see the video. He is now meeting with the media. So I'm assuming that's what the last hour and 10 minutes has been, is Billy Napier talking to Jaden Rashada and, and convincing him that the University of Florida is where he wants to be. And, and yes, I do now see that list. And so for Gator fans who might have been uh, starting to freak out a little bit, we were trying to tell you just to remain calm until Billy Napier spoke at the podium, which he is doing right now. And so again, the quarterback Jaden Rashada 6'3 185 out of California will be with the 2023 as Florida calls it dream team uh, real quick going back to the two classes Hayes that I was surprised by the fact that Oklahoma was ahead of both Tennessee and USC that surprised me based off of the seasons that Tennessee and USC had I agree I think uh, USC is is a surprise to me that they're not a little bit higher certainly plenty of playing time opportunity on that defense uh, that was atrocious and uh, and it's Lincoln Riley on offense I mean if you're a quarterback and they did great at quarterback they got they got the best one uh, arguably and uh, but to have 20 commitments only 10 are blue chips three five stars seven four stars I'm a little surprised by that uh, because you know they they have had a lot of momentum throughout this season Uh, so yeah I, I would be disappointed in that if I was USC um, you know, you mentioned Michigan. I think for them to only be 17th uh, on the rankings I'm looking at mm-hmm. with uh, nine of their 23 are, are blue chips, no five stars, nine four stars, a little bit of a disappointment since they've been great back-to-back years. Uh, you know, so I, I think Tennessee's a little bit of a, of a surprise too, but I, I give them a little bit of a pass because they're always going to have to win the road recruiting battle. Yep. Tennessee just doesn't produce a ton. It's not to say they don't produce any, but they don't produce the volume of prospects that other states do. So they've got to go into Georgia, Florida, other areas to get a lot of their talent. Um, but, uh, but again, on this, 13 commitments uh, that are blue chips, 12 four-stars, one five-star, which is obviously the quarterback. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think a good, a good group for Josh Heupel. So, uh, again, it's, uh, I, th- I, think, I think there's some things that – some teams that can be very happy, some teams that are probably a little disappointed today. And Tennessee probably was hurt a little bit by the fact that November wasn't as kind to them as September and October were. I say, I mean, the last few weeks, they might have had, you know, you get one point. They, they kind of tailed they off. They thought the they end. could go to the college football playoff right. had, they, had they not lost uh, and certainly lost Hendon Hooker. A couple of comments that Billy Napier is making on uh, four star composite quarterback Jaden Rashada. He, the ball jumps out of his hand, and he's a guy that has a sturdy frame that can add weight to. Uh, Jaden's a guy who came to, to Gainesville, fell in love with the University of Florida, connected with a lot of people here. So just a few different comments from Billy Napier on Jaden Rashada, who na- has now signed with the University of Florida. Billy Napier did announce that. That is why the press conference, we believe, was delayed about an hour and 10 minutes. All right, we've got more to do here on the Fringes Show. Two more segments to go with you live from Island Wing Company on 10 to XL 92.5 FM. It's a Kitchen and Flooring Design Center Wednesday on the Frangie Show. Make your home dreams come true with the Kitchen and Flooring Design Center. Welcome back to the Frangie Show on this early National Signing Day brought to you by Harold and Harold. We are live here at Island Wing Company and as always a Kitchen and Flooring Design Center Wednesday. Hey, it's Carline. I'm Lauren Brooks. Frank Frangie has the rest of this week off. He will be calling, of course, the Jaguars at the Jets tomorrow night. Dylan Denmark back at Tenton XL headquarters making it all happen Andrew Gibson off this week as well. Dylan, you said that Hayes scared you when he was announcing Jaden Rashada's news. Yeah, me and Graham were like, we, we were talking and we just like <laughs> stopped talking as if like some major story was about to happen. And luckily Hayes gave us some good news. It is a major story it's in the I'm world of the orange and blue. Big and so, yes, right. like I said earlier, I'm sure people who are not Gator fans were hoping Jaden Rashada was going elsewhere, but he is going to commit to the University of Florida. Billy Napier when asked why Jaden Rashada flipped from Miami to Florida, said the connection was real. That hmm. means right. relationships matter to Billy Napier. And uh, certainly now he's going to answer lots of questions on the rest of the class and, and all that fun stuff, which is great uh, for Gator fans to pay attention to when it comes to recruiting. Like we've done all show long, we've told you Alabama is going to have the top recruiting class in all of the nation. And Hayes, if Cormani McLean commits to Alabama, we do believe that Alabama will go ahead of Texas A&M's rating from last year. I think so. Okay. I mean, Alabama right now on the on the twenty four seven composite, their first twenty seven commitment signees, six five stars, twenty four stars. You would then be adding, I believe, the third overall player in the country, in Cormani McLean. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think at that point, again, Georgia has an outstanding class. They're second. They've got 26 signees, 20 or four stars, two or five stars. And on this point system, they have th- basically 309 points. Alabama has 326. And that is a striking difference when you then look at the gap. Just to give you an idea, the gap from... 8 to 12 is 9 points. So uh, these teams are pretty jumbled. For Alabama to be 17 points ahead of Georgia uh, in terms of – and that's before you get Cormani McLean, I have to think that it would be above what Texas A&M was able to do last year. In terms of points, using the 24-7 composite rankings, last year the points for Texas A&M's class – 
333.13. Alabama right now, 326.06. So you would guess, like you said, we don't ever know exactly how they do the points, but you would guess that Cormani McLean, if he decided to go to Alabama, I would guess also that that would jump that above Texas A&M. So that leads me to the question, which SEC football coach will, would it be Kirby Smart, who will then attack Nick Saban <laughs> for buying his players? Yeah, it'll Keep be. Keep the tradition going. It'll be interesting to see who it, <laughs> who it ends up being. I don't think it'll be Kirby. I think Kirby <laughs> is, uh, is quite content with, with his class and, and what he's doing. I, I think, you know, there'll be somebody. There was uh, a coach, I think it was the pit coach, Narduzzi said on a, an interview maybe yesterday yes. that he was aware of Drake May getting $5 million offers from two different schools. And then Orlovsky responded to it and said, I know this to be true as well, and one of the schools would absolutely shock you that they offered $5 million. Dylan, did you see this? Yes, it was Narduzzi from Pitt. Yeah, and, and so... But he uh, didn't name the schools. He didn't name the schools. That's sort of the, again... That's the landscape. These coaches land. have this fraternity, and, and I understand, and you know, no one wants to outwardly come out. And, but it's, you know it's just a matter of time until one of these coaches has had enough and, and spills the beans on what they're hearing. And uh, so, I, you know, I, I don't know that anybody's going to go after Alabama and Nick Saban. Um, you know, we'll see. But, uh, but I am intrigued. I, I, Miami's really the one. Do, do we hear any coach really rail yeah, that's a good question. against Miami and what Miami did this year? And, and, again, I'm not saying that's right or fair to Miami. But if, if you're telling me one school is going to really get grilled over these next few months, you know, by maybe jealous coaches or maybe coaches sure. that have a legitimate argument, I would think it'd be the Canes. And to go back to the Drake May story, remember, Drake May did not enter the transfer portal. So the fact that some coaches, two coaches, are offering him north of $5 million, that is tampering. You're not allowed to do that. Does it happen? Well, obviously. But again, you're not supposed to be able to be in contact with someone until they go into the transfer portal and everyone can see who's in the transfer portal and you certainly have people lined up to be watching that transfer portal. I saw a stat, I think it was yesterday, the day before, 1,527 players in the transfer portal uh, at that point in time. Just craziness. That's amazing. It really is. And it's becoming harder and harder, I think, like we talked about when it comes to NIL for coaches to keep their own players even if the player had a successful season they're still interested in seeing what the market you know as far as being a free agent can bring them and and I don't blame them are you disappointed at all I mean again Billy Napier was brought to Florida to close the gap between Florida and the SEC heavyweights are you at all disappointed that Alabama Georgia light years ahead of Florida LSU who they do play on an annual basis we'll see what the new uh, rotation schedule right. looks like in the SEC, but they're sixth. Uh, uh, Tennessee is tenth on on the list I'm looking at. Okay. So, and uh, you, you are ahead of again on my list: Texas A&M, South Carolina, yep. Auburn, Arkansas, Mississippi State. Uh, but any concern? Uh, any uh, any irritation that it doesn't look like in this class? that Florida really made up the ground that maybe they needed to? I think after finishing 6-7, and seven, the way the team, especially the defense, looked all season long, 
it doesn't bring me massive disappointment. I'm actually like, okay, well, Florida finished fourth in the SEC if all things hold. And, again, I'm looking at on three. Hayes is looking at 24-7. So in my list uh, or on the list, I'm looking at Florida's ahead, ahead of Tennessee. Tennessee. Gotcha. Right, so fourth in the SEC. I think with the, the disappointing season that it was, not getting to eight wins, I think that's pretty good. I also, though, have a tendency to be more disappointed in how Billy Napier coached as far as the clock management and things like that, I, I, the play calling, that to me was more disappointing because I thought the way that he was, he was talked about, obviously recruiter, also, you know, he grew up around football. I thought he'd be this brilliant play caller like we get to see on Sundays with Doug Peterson and, and certainly tomorrow night, Thursday. So that to me has been the more disappointing part. I mean, you're talking about a, a coach that had Anthony Richardson who may go in the top – 20 in the draft a lot of people think he will and you couldn't at least get to eight wins now granted yes like we've talked about the defense was the historically the worst defense Florida has ever had but I still think there were times that Anthony Richardson should have played better and so I guess the question then is is that on AR is that on Billy Napier well from this vantage point it's on both of them and so Billy Napier I think I think the recruiting will come with more success on the field look LSU rebounded and, and had a pretty good season. The only team really that's in kind of the top five that you really would not expect is Miami. But Miami is, from what we believe to be true, paying some players, as is maybe Oregon at seven. I'm not sure if that's where Texas is. But again, Texas has, I think, historically recruited well. So overall, it, I would I have loved, obviously, everyone would have loved a top five, a top three team. I'd love to be where Miami is right now. But I don't think one recruiting class is definitely going to spell failure or success for Billy Napier. It's going to be how he does year in and year out. And, and really, does he hire an offensive coordinator and kind of fix the play calling on the field? Yeah, good points. There's a couple of uh, tidbits that I'll throw at you guys okay. from Billy Napier's press conference talking about some of the signees. Lauren, you mentioned uh, what he said about Rashada. Uh, this is interesting. Uh, a couple of receivers that the Gators brought in, high four-star players i'll start with eugene wilson napier quote he's a one play touchdown maker uh aiden mizell mm -hmm. uh he says we'll run track at florida nice. uh he's excellent florida has an excellent in, track in, program. in the four by or in the 400 so okay. they desperately needed that i mean yes. florida has not had a deep threat at receiver in so long or just a guy that you can throw a bubble screen to and he can just make a guy miss and go Wilson and Mizell might be two outstanding players. They've got a chance to contribute early, certainly for the Gators, in light of what they have at receiver. And then Kelby Collins was one of the jewels of the class out of Alabama. Big-time defensive lineman, Florida's best defensive player that they signed in this class. Uh, Napier says, just turn the tape on, a violent player. So a couple of uh, tidbits from uh, Billy Napier on some of the new Gators. And again, when you look at the 24-7 rankings of where these players came in at Jaden Rashada was number one the quarterback he's 56th in the country on the 24-7 composite 56th in the country is Florida's highest ranked player Kelby Collins 60th uh, Aiden Mizell 94th Dijon Johnson the safety out of Tampa 98th and then Eugene Wilson the receiver we were just talking about out of Tampa 112. Uh, Roderick Kearney out mm -hmm. of Orange Park, yep. uh, offensive lineman, 118th in the country. And then Jakeem Jackson, a corner out of Osceola and Kissimmee, 123 in the nation. Uh, and then it, it 
falls down to 164. So, again, of the top 123 on this particular list, you're talking about uh, eight players, uh, seven players, uh, seven players. Seven players in that top uh, 123 in the nation for the Gators, but none in the upper echelon. So you mentioned three players of that list from Jacksonville or around Jacksonville Orange Park included. Uh, the first coast going to Florida. Florida State only has one player, and that is safety Kenton Kirkland uh, heading to FSU from Jacksonville. That does surprise me a little bit. I would think that they, the Knowles would mine this area a little bit better. I think they have multiple. Uh, I think they have uh, they, Samuel Singleton, a running back out of Fleming Island. Oh, okay, yep. Uh, and uh, so I think they did. You yep, know, they and do then have they got, two, you're right. And then they got Kirkland out of range. So, yeah, you get a couple out of Jacksonville. That's, you know, that's certainly good. Again, they, it, particularly you only have 16. Yeah, that's You know, we talked point. about Alabama has 27. Uh, FSU electing to sign a smaller class. Uh, like you mentioned, they probably just don't have the spots, you know, because they have so many players coming back. Um, so uh, to get two out of 16 uh, out of Jacksonville, that's pretty good. And, and, yeah, Florida did a really good job recruiting the area, too, of their 20. They have uh, Kearney out of Orange Park, Sharif Denson out of Bartram Trail, uh, Trayon Webb out of Trinity Christian, uh, Denson a corner, Webb obviously running back, uh, that are blue-chip players. Uh, Lake City, Columbia also a linebacker, Jaden Robinson, headed to the Gators. Uh, so, yeah, Florida Florida did actually really well in the state, um, and that was a big priority. Now it's just can you take what you did in 2023 and in 2024 can you make a run at a, at a top five group? They're off to obviously a good start when you look at the commitment of DJ Lagway, who uh, is a five-star if you look at it. Uh, the majority of the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, Florida State, by the way, doing very well in 2024. When you look at the team rankings, they're fourth. It's LSU one with eight commitments. Notre Dame two with seven. Georgia has uh, six commitments. They're third. FSU fourth with seven. And Florida is ninth, but just with three. Uh, a five-star and then two four-stars. So uh, for the local teams, the 2024 is, is off to a great start. I uh, do not see Miami uh, as a factor yet in 2024, but you have to think that that (laughs) will be coming. I'm looking at basically the top 50, and I don't see Miami in it. So, uh, but uh, but again, I'm sure that they will uh, find their way. Yeah, money hasn't started going into 2024 yet. All right, we've got one segment to go here on the Frangie Show on 1010XL 92.5 FM. It's a kitchen and flooring design center Wednesday on the Frangie Show. Make your home dreams come true with the Kitchen and Flooring Design Center. We've had an absolute blast here at Island Wing Company, Bartram Park. Everybody is in the holiday spirit. They've got the tables with the fire going. Christmas music playing. It's just a, it is the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it, Hayes? It is. The patios out here are sensational. Again, they've got three of them. And yes, you can get a big group and sit in comfy, you know, couches. Oh, yeah. The uh, fire going. It is. uh, Why sit at a table when you can sit at a couch? Yeah, exactly. It's awesome. So love being out here. And uh, yeah, ready for Christmas. Hard to believe. What are we like, four days away now? That is correct, sir. We are four days away. So if you are like me and you have not finished your Christmas shopping, you better get on it uh, because time is running out. Santa Claus. 
I certainly hope so as well. A couple of things I wanted to get to before we sign off today. Hall of Fame running back Franco Harris passed away earlier today at the age of 72. And of course, this weekend was going to be the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. It, it seemed like it was a little bit sudden. And, and so certainly that's a, a tragedy as far as his family is concerned. But what a legend he, uh, he was as far as the NFL is concerned. I think the first NFL exposure I ever had as a child was it wasn't a game I, I think I was actually watching one of the shows where they they go through a classic game yep and it was that game uh, the Immaculate Reception game and I, I, that play has been ingrained in me as an NFL fan since the first time it's I'm, it's, I'm almost imprinted on it that's so like cool. a baby duck would be <laughs> on the first thing it sees when it you know pops out of the egg and it is such a, to this day, amazing play. It's mm-hmm. the signature play of the NFL. I, people I know recently will say, you know, the David Tyree catch, which was amazing. Sure. But there the are moments that you always yeah, remember where you were. Exactly. The immaculate reception, which obviously predates us. Yes. Um, you know, but just the impact that it had on the league. And, and, and even beyond that, I mean, Franco Harris was an outstanding player. He's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I think he was a nine-time Pro Bowler, just several 1,000-yard seasons on the ground. Just an unbelievable legacy and uh, just will be greatly missed. And it is unfortunate that, uh, you know, that this happened just a couple of days before the Raiders go to Pittsburgh and, and we have the 50th anniversary of that amazing finish. It makes me so sad. And obviously there's a lot of people like us who weren't alive for it. So you go on YouTube and you watch it and it's, crazy that in today's way of cameras and modern age of television there's no way that we wouldn't have an angle that shows Franco Harris catching the ball but I think that's what stands out to people the first time you watch it you're like wait a minute how did that well I didn't get to see it what you know what and it's so crazy and and just the fact that he was able to catch it and, and what a way that that game ended and so certainly uh thoughts and prayers with his family and this may sound trite because you never want to lose someone but it's always been especially harder to me to lose someone right before the holidays. Yes. Just because you've had so many traditions and memories and, and then you've already bought presents for that person. And it's just, it's such a tough thing to begin with. And especially if it, like I said, if it was a sudden death, but certainly uh, people will be celebrating his life. I'm, I'm glad he was in the hall of fame and, and got that induction a long, long time ago. All right. When it comes to the Titans, in case you missed it earlier, Paul Kaharski, who covers the Titans, tweeted out that Ryan Tannehill is likely done for the season, so that means quarterback Malik Willis would get the nod for the rest of the way. They also brought up Josh Dobbs, former Jaguars practice squad, uh, or former Jaguars quarterback. He was on the active roster for a while, but now practice squad player with the Titans. They activated him to the 53-man roster. So, Hayes, it feels like a Tennessee team that was already reeling now has delivered kind of a gut punch. Yeah, this is uh, this is unbelievable for Tennessee this is about the last thing that that they could afford to have happen and again I'm not trying to sell Ryan Tannehill as a superstar but he is an efficient player he's a 94.6 passer rating quarterback right now that's pretty solid 13 touchdowns six interceptions doesn't have a lot to work with complete 65 percent of his passes you now move to a rookie in Malik Willis who's thrown 38 passes He's only completed 17 of them, so he's about 44%. That is a just massive loss. I mean, and so it's obviously going to be Derrick Henry. 
and the Titans have to get Malik Willis ready to play. And I think that's going to be difficult with getting him to a point where in a few weeks, if he has to, he can go on the road to Jacksonville and win a game that could be for the AFC South. And I think it benefits the Jaguars from this perspective as well. He'll have played two games as the starter. Houston game Sunday or Saturday, and then uh, the Thursday night game against Dallas. Right. The Jaguars will have a pretty good idea of what he can and can't do and how to defend him. So they're not going to be caught off guard. So I think that helps. But you look at the, the slate now for the Jaguars from a quarterback's perspective. Yep. Zach, Zach Wilson. Wilson. And then Davis Mills, Davis Mills most or likely. Jeff Driscoll. Yep. And then Malik Willis. That's it. That's yeah. pretty attractive. Yeah, if you're if you're a Jaguars fan, which obviously most people listening are, uh, this was, I think, good news, certainly. Uh, yes, Malik Willis presents a little bit of a mobility threat, but I think you'd much rather be facing a rookie without that much experience than you would Ryan Tannehill, who certainly has, has had a lot of not just experience, but also postseason experience, too. People forget the Titans were the number one seed in the AFC uh, last season. So certainly Jaguars-Jets tomorrow night is going to be a whole lot of fun. Congratulations to Rayshon Jenkins. He was named the AFC Defensive Player of the Week. Offensive player, though, going to Josh Allen. Last week I said I would rather have Trevor Lawrence over Josh Allen. You and Frank disagreed with me. Do you think you could change that? opinion i think people would all take Mahomes still over trevor but do you think i could get you to eventually change from josh allen to trevor lawrence the thing with i don't think so the, okay. th- the thing with josh allen that i think has you have to be somewhat mindful of is the punishment he seeks out yep that is something that if i was a bills fan i'd like to see him <clears throat> lessen sure as uh, as he moves along he's a big guy so it's not that i mean he certainly has the the frame but i mean he's almost kamikaze reckless with some of the contact that he takes but his arm is unbelievable his instincts are unbelievable probably needs to get a little bit better at, at, in the red zone in, ser- in terms of the chances that he takes I think that'll improve but I think I'd have to take Josh Allen he just athletically is is such a marvel um, you know but I do wonder if he's going to be able to continue to play this way six, seven years from now, whereas the way Trevor Lawrence is playing is sustainable when he's 43. Yeah, certainly. The way Trevor Lawrence has been playing, obviously, like we've talked about, top 10 quarterback, and and he is, I think, the way he's seeing the field, it, it's showing you that this is going to be long-term sustainable success. All right, let's check in with one Rick Balloon. Now, the two-minute drill brought to you by Tire Outlet. Keeping the sports world spinning with wholesale prices and premium service. Tire Outlet, Jacksonville's largest locally owned automotive repair shop. Rick, how are you this dreary evening? I'm perfect. Everything's good except for the weather, right? You can't complain when the Jags keep winning, so. That's right. The only weather I might complain about uh, if things don't go our way is tomorrow night's weather up in Newark. East Rutherford. Yeah, and, you know, I think it's another um, uh, another lesson, you know, that uh, Doug Peterson every week talks about lessons learned, and they did not play well in Philadelphia, so it looks like they're going to get another opportunity with those elements. I think they're a better football team right now than the New York Jets. Uh, New York has really been struggling as of late. I want to say they won five of their first seven or maybe even six of their first eight. Uh, but they have been on the other side of some pretty close games as of late. So I really like Jacksonville and their chances coming up tomorrow night. 
Well, that is good news because you certainly have been right. Because you had the Jags or the Titans, I remember that. Did you have the Jags or the Cowboys? I had the Dallas Cowboys. Okay, all right. Well, did I anyone have? have did, did anyone? Well, have I did, but but that's because I always pick the Jaguars, so I can wow. never take credit that I'm some Nostradamus by any means. Rick, how did you feel about the FSU signing class today? If uh, if you always pick the Jaguars, can can I do. can you just let me know uh, what is your lifetime winning percentage? <laughs> <laughs> we're not looking at lifetime. We're focusing more on this season and uh, the times that I've picked the yeah, Jaguars when yeah. no one else has and how well it's done me in our picks contest. Yeah, um, the, yeah I, I would agree with you. Um, uh, Florida State, you know, better with the transfer portal than certainly the incoming freshmen. Um, you know, they're still waiting on a couple of guys. They they did bring in uh, some quality players at wide receiver and the offensive line. Still looking for a little bit more. Uh, I know the effort is there. I think eventually, and I'm going to say as early as next year, that, you know, Mike Norvell has to really start to hit some home runs with incoming freshmen. He was able to get by this year with with transfer portal guys. If you look, um, you know, 11 of the top 15, 11 of the 15 guys who were Atlantic Coast Conference, you know, first, second, or third team, all came from the transfer portal. You, you can't live that way forever. I think you can for another year, but he's got to start to get better when it comes to getting high school kids. And, yeah, I have a feeling he will. I think winning will bring that uh, to Florida State. But, you know, overall, it's clearly a, ca- a class behind both Miami and Florida. We'll talk about that a little bit coming up here tonight as well. All right. Sounds good, Rick. Well, thanks so much. We'll be listening. Have a great one. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. Next time you will hear Hayes is tomorrow, 3 o'clock, the kickoff show. Hayes and Ryan the Hacker Green have it for you, previewing Jaguars Jets until around 5.15. And then, of course, you will hear Jaguars Radio Network with Frank Frangie on the call of the actual game alongside Jeff Logman. I believe Tony Baselli is doing the call on national TV. I believe that is the case. So there you have it. That's going to do it for us here at Island Wing Company at Bartram. We always thank them for their hospitality. And we hope you've enjoyed listening to this National Signing Day show brought to you by Harold and Harold. Mark, I'm Lauren Brooks for the absent Frank Frangie and Andrew Gibson. Talk to you tomorrow.